and a little quick change here to a different microphone. So we are, I'm going to grab my, my uh, clicker here. We're going to open up to the book of Ephesians. That's what we're studying as a church today. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to be in verses 14 through 21. If you don't have your Bible, I'll have the verses on the screen for you today. Now, I believe one of the most important things that you can do for a loved one, besides providing for them and giving them friendship and being a comfort to them, is praying for them. I think when we pray for someone, it shows our heart and our love for them. And when you look at the book of Ephesians, you can't help but see Paul, who's writing to this church in Ephesus, that he loves these people. And because he loves these people and he wants to see them grow in their relationship with God, he can't help but pray for them. And we see this in verse 14 through 15. It's, Paul says, when I think of all of this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. It says that Paul fell to his knees in prayer. Now there are times when you and I, we pray, we just stand up and pray, or we're sitting in our car praying, but there are other times when we're desperate, and we want to see God move in our lives or someone else's life. We can't help but get on our knees and pray. And that's exactly what Paul does here. But back then, people didn't usually do that. They were more dignified. They stood when they prayed. But to get on their knees, especially in Paul's day, was a big, big deal. And this reflected Paul's heart. His posture in his heart was reflected in him being on his knees. He was desperate to see God move, desperate to see God work in the lives of the Ephesians. And so he prays for them. And captured in the next few verses are these two incredible prayers that Paul just doesn't pray for the Ephesian church, but it's our prayer for the chapel as well. And here's the first prayer. Paul's first prayer is Extreme Makeover Jesus Edition. Now that is a very corny name, but I couldn't think of anything else to describe what Jesus is doing here. Because he wants to see Jesus come in and do his demo work in our lives. Here's what he prays in verse 16 into the first part of verse 17. It says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Now, if you ever watch these extreme makeover shows, my favorite part is when they show the before and then they show the after. And then you see a stark contrast like in this picture. I'm going to admit, this is a picture of Google. I just typed in before and after pictures. So this is no one that I know, but the picture's incredible. I mean, you see a house on the left, you're like, let's just demolish it and start over, but there's memories in this house. There's something special about this house to someone's family, and so why not renew it and make it new again? And that's exactly what happens here, and that's exactly what God wants to do in our lives. He doesn't want to tear us down and restart from the beginning. He wants to renew us and by his spirit, through his power, he wants to make his home in us and make us more like Jesus. So that someday we can look at our lives, the before and the after, and say, wow, look at the difference. Look what God has done in my life. I didn't even know it was possible, but with the spirit in me and by his power, I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. I love what D.A. Carson says. He says, when Christ first moves into our lives, he finds us in bad repair. And it takes a great deal of power to change us. And that is what Paul prays for power. God is transforming us into a house that pervasively reflects his own character. 
Again, Jesus wants to come over and come into our lives and remake us. It's this extreme makeover, and here's what he does. He comes in with a sledgehammer, because when you watch those shows, that's what they do first. They just start to use the sledgehammer and just start to do demo work. And it's painful in our lives, because he's taking the sledgehammer to our pride, to our selfishness, to our anger, to our people-pleasing. And he's taking that sledgehammer, but then he rebuilds it with something beautiful. He rebuilds it with Jesus' selflessness, with Jesus' humility, with Jesus' peace and patience, with Jesus' own worth, so we don't have to define worth by anybody else but him. And that's a hard project to have to go through, but in the end, it's so beautiful when you get to compare the before and after picture. And more than that, here's what else Jesus does. He comes into our house, and you know those closets that we shove everything in, hoping that no one will ever see it in our houses? Maybe that's just me, but I have a couple of closets like that. Here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to go into the closets of our lives where we've stuffed our addictions in, where we've stuffed our secrets in, and if anybody found out, even if our spouse did, we'd be in a lot of trouble. He wants to go in there and just clean all of it out, and he wants to take it to the landfill and get rid of it forever because you and I are called to live free. And that's the kind of demo work that Jesus wants to do in our lives by the power of his spirit so that when we look at the before and after picture, we say, man, I used to be like this and sometimes my life still looks like this sometimes and I'm growing. I am becoming more like Jesus. Look at the after picture. That's what Paul prays for the church, that we would reflect Jesus more than we reflect ourselves right now. And then the second prayer is just as important. His prayer is that we would experience God's love, and this part's very important too, so that we can be God's love to others. Look what Paul prays for the church. I pray your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide and how long and how high and how deep his love is for us. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. A couple months ago, Paul and I finally got to take all four of our kids on our first ever family vacation. And somehow, miraculously, it went really well. And as we were there, we got to go to the ocean because some of our friends let us stay at their place. It was incredible. And as we were there, our kids became fascinated with picking up shells because obviously we don't have many shells at Lake Erie. This is a picture of my little three-year-old Remy. She is cute and she is feisty though. Woo! And she has a lot of these beautiful, cool shells in her little bucket. And as the kids are going around and trying to find shells, I could not take my eyes off the ocean. I don't get to see the ocean that much. Usually, of course, I'm seeing Lake Erie, but there's something about the ocean, isn't it? I mean, I could not believe how vast it was. It goes for miles and miles and miles. And when you look left, when you look right, when you look in front of you, it just continues on and on and on. But what sent chills down my spine was when you look at the ocean, how much of it has not been discovered yet. That's how deep it is. We can't even get to the plums and go to the depths of the oceans because of how deep it is. And then I started to think about God's love. It's so much bigger, so much deeper, so much 
longer, so much taller than even the ocean. I mean, the ocean doesn't even compare to the vastness of God's love. You can't compare anything to God's love. And when you think about it, you ask yourself, well, how do I know God really loves me? Especially in a world where we see a lot of pain and a lot of hardship, a lot of personal suffering you and I are going through. How do we know God really loves us? And all I can tell you is just look at the cross. Look at the sacrifice that Jesus gave up his life for us so that we can have wholeness and eternal life, eternal life that begins here on this earth. That's how deep and wide and long and rich God's love is for you and me. But I think there's a problem. I know we say there's a pandemic going on, and I agree with that, but there's an epidemic going on too, and it's in the church. A lot of us know God's love, and a lot of us follow Jesus, but a lot of people don't see that in our lives. And the proof that we know God loves us the proof that we've scratched the surface in discovering the depths of God's love is not by going to church. It's by other people seeing it come out of us. Here's what Paul says a little bit later in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. It says, Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. I mean, this should be our mission statement as people. We ought to live a life filled with love. We follow the example of Christ because he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. The more we fall in love with God, the more we should love other people. Jesus equated loving God and loving people as equal. And if you and I truly believe in Jesus and we really want to understand his love, then the people in our world should see it in us and through us. So think about it. Your spouse, your family, your friends, your coworkers, strangers, what would they say to this question about you? Do people know God is real because they see his sacrificial love displayed in my life? If our lives are supposed to look like Jesus and we're supposed to pattern ourselves off of Jesus because of his love for us, if people don't believe in God and they don't read the Bible and they don't come to church, can they still believe that there could be a God who is all loving and who is sacrificial because of our sacrificial love for others? It's gotta be both. It must be both. Our love, Paul says, for others must come out of us. And that's why he's on his knees praying. On his knees praying that we will have a before and after picture so that Jesus can come in and do his demo work in our lives. And that we would discover his love, he prays, so that other people can see his love as well. And as he gets to the end of this passage, Paul, he turns from these prayers to praise, to worship. And that's what we want to do with our lives. Our life isn't about singing worship songs on a Sunday. Our life is worship when we live unto Jesus for, for what he's done for us. And at the end of this passage, Paul prays this. He celebrates this, I should say. He worships. He says, Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we may ask or think glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Tony Merida wrote this commentary on Ephesians and he said, we need to ask three questions of these verses. 
The first question is this, what is God able to do? He is able to accomplish infinitely more than we may ask or think. Does our faith allow for God to be so big that he can do more in us and through us than we ever can imagine? He can do infinitely more in this church, in our communities, and in our world through us more than we can ever begin to imagine. Well, then Paul says, well, how does God do this? Well, he does this because of his mighty power at work within us. The more we let Jesus do his demo work in us, and it is painful, trust me. It is not fun to give up some of my selfish ways or my anger or my, or my pride or all these things. But when we allow God to do that and we allow him to do that demo work in our lives so our lives look like Jesus, then he can continue to do so much more than we can imagine or think. But it's his power working in us. Well, why does it matter? Why does God do this? It's for his glory, which impacts our church and extends to all generations. To me, this blows my mind. It said for all generations forever. There are things going to happen in you and through the chapel that if we truly have our eyes on Jesus and make it about Jesus and him alone and other people can discover God's love in and through us, not only will it impact our neighbors, in our community, in our world now, but it will have an effect for generations to come. Your life, though it seems insignificant and small, can have a generational impact when you allow Jesus to transform you and other people discover his love. And that's what I love about baptism. That's what we see, Jesus changing our lives, Jesus coming in and making his home in us and declaring that to the world that I want to live my life for Jesus. I want my life to impact generations to come. And in a few moments, you're going to see more baptisms, and I love that. And maybe you're here today, and you're saying, well, hey, I've really never been baptized before. Maybe I was baptized as a baby, but it really wasn't my baptism. I didn't make that decision, or I forgot to go to a class. And I would tell you that we're gonna offer baptism again in the spring. And today. We love to have the spirit work in our room that if anybody wants to be baptized today, you don't have to sign up for a class. We have staff members waiting for you to help you articulate your story. And then you say, well, I only have my Sunday best on. Oh, we have shorts and a t-shirt back there in your size too. You may be teeny, you may be bigger. We got sizes for everybody. You can come out here and be baptized if you are a follower of Jesus and you're not baptized, you don't wait to the spring. You go now. That's a part of faith. Expressing ourselves to God in this tank is a great way to honor him. And so here's what we're going to do. If God is telling you, man, I need to take that step of baptism. You can go out into our atrium. I see some of our staff, some of our elders out there waiting for you during worship. Just stand up and go, and they will bring you back in the next 20 minutes, and we'll be celebrating you in this tank.